verses 43 to 48. May the Lord bless the reading of God's word for us. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Well, friends, we are continuing in our sermon series, Life, period. And, uh, oh, if we can go back. Uh, this is going to be tricky. <laughs> All right. Um, so today's title, I have to admit, it, it, it's like kind of like a grandiose title. Like, like uh, I, I sent out uh, the notice to the praise team earlier this week uh, to let them know what the message was going to be. And when I typed it, the purpose of life, I was like, ooh, that's like a big claim, you know? It's like one of those things that a lot of us are seeking, right? Like, like a big, big question. What is the purpose of life? And, you know, part of it is, uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but because our theme is life, a lot of the sermons have the word life or living in it. Um, not all of them, but a lot of them do. And so, you know, I, I, I do think that uh, there's something here about the purpose of life, but you know, when I typed that out, I was like, oh, man, such a big claim. And so I, I you know, learned this tip from watching YouTube. Um, I don't know about you guys, but during the pandemic, I've watched a lot of YouTube. I actually wasn't that into YouTube before, but now I'm super into it. And I've learned that there are some things like, like you, you see these patterns in YouTube. And one of the most annoying things to me is clickbait. He has no clickbait. It's like they have this title that just sounds like you're going to watch this really awesome video that's going to answer these questions or, you know, I don't know. There'll be something like, could this be the next iPhone? Right? The iPhone, what, what are they on now? Like, what would it be, 15, 16? I don't know. They skip numbers sometimes, right? There's never, there was never an iPhone 9, so I don't even know. Yeah, 14, 15, could this be the next iPhone? You know, and... I, I thought of this when I uh, titled the sermon, and I wanted to show you kind of how clickbait works. So, Jennifer, you're going to have to help me out on this, but can you go to the next slide? And so this is a screenshot. You saw this earlier. This is from my children's sermon. And I kind of like this because this is like what a lot of the thumbnails on YouTube look like, right? Like somebody having like, like too strong of a reaction, right? It's like definitely overreacting, just, oh, you know? And... Um, They'll make, like, some big claim, right? Like, so let's go to the next slide. Like, this, made, this egg is made out of real gold. It's an Easter egg. It's plastic, so it's definitely not. So, you know, obviously, that egg would be, like, worth a lot of money if it really was made out of real gold. So, you know, what you do in clickbait, because, you know, if you make a claim that's not true, people might get mad at you, and they may, like, not follow you anymore, right? So this is what you do. It's very simple. And it's true, but it might get people to click on your article as you do this. Let's go to the next one. Is this egg made out of real gold? Question mark. Because the answer could be no, right? The answer is no. But you can do that with anything, right? 
You could be like, is coronavirus giving people superpowers? Question mark, right? As long as you put a question mark, you can pretty much say anything, right? And so uh, just for added effect, I also noticed, I don't know why YouTube videos do this, but can you go to the next video? They always put an arrow. Have you noticed that? There's always an arrow. I don't know why, but yeah. So, <laughs> and friends, so yeah, you know, this could have been the title of today's sermon. Uh, let's go to the next slide. The purpose of life. But instead, I was like, the purpose of life? Question mark. And just for fun, let's put an arrow. Yeah. <laughs> and so, friends, you know, it is a big question. And, and, and I actually do think that we are going to give you an answer today. Those are the best YouTube, ser- uh, YouTube sermons, YouTube videos, by the way, right? Where it's like a big question. And you're like, oh, man, this sounds like clickbait. But they actually answer the question, you know? But at the same time, I want to say, it is a big thing, right? It's like, like what do we all want to know in life? Like, like, well, one is like the meaning of life, which is a little bit different, right? That's next week's sermon. No, just kidding. <laughs> That's also a big subject. But, you know, the purpose of life, right? Like, what are we on earth here to do, right? Like, like what are we supposed to be doing? What, where are we going with all of this, Right? And when we're talking about life, I think that's really important for us to talk about. Because otherwise, you're going to be doing a lot of stuff and not really know why you're doing it. And, and I think that happens a lot in church and a lot with Christians. And so, yeah, friends, uh, I just want to warn you right now. Today, there's going to be a lot of scripture. And there is a reason for that. You know, they, they actually tell you when you... <laughs> at least in my preaching class in seminary, they say like, oh, just try to focus on one scripture. Don't pull in too many. But this is going to be an exception because I want to convince you that this is the purpose of life, right? That this isn't just coming from Steve Kong, right? I didn't just make this up, right? But it, it is biblical. And so in order to show you that, I need to show you more than one scripture to come at it from different angles. So you guys ready for that? Yeah? You want to know what the purpose of life is? Well, let's find out. <laughs> and in many ways, friends, uh, we're going to piggyback off of um, Pastor Young Yi uh, preached for us last week. And he talked about um, the, the two greatest commandments. So uh, let's go to the next slide. This is Matthew 22, 36 through 40, when uh, one of the teachers of the law was trying to trap Jesus and asking him, which is the great commandment in the law? Which is like the, the greatest commandment? Because it's a trap because... The Pharisees and a lot of the teachers of the law, they really thought you were supposed to follow all of them. And maybe for some people, there was this thinking like, okay, well, there's so many. Which is the best? Which is the greatest, right? And it's a little bit of a trap question because no matter what you answer, somebody could come back with one of the other 612 laws and be like, well, what about this one, right? Or are you saying that this one isn't that important, right? So you're trying to trap him. But Jesus straight up answers Right? And so he actually answers with two, and Young mentioned this. The first is called the Shema, because in Hebrew it means hear. And the way it starts in, in, um, in the Old Testament account of the Shema is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord, the Lord your God is one. Right? And then it says, You shall love the Lord your God. Right? And, and this is Jesus' version of the Shema. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And this, nobody would have questioned, 
right? Like every good Jewish person knew the Shema, backwards and forwards, right? And so, like, nobody could argue this, right? And this was the duh statement, right? That, that everyone's like, yeah, 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 of course, of course, Jesus, Shema, good solid answer, right? But Jesus did not need to give a second answer. He asked, what is the greatest commandment? But Jesus goes ahead and he's like, I'm going to give you a bonus. I'm going to give you a second one, right? And this is where it gets a little dicey. This is where Jesus is asserting something that is, I mean, this is definitely from the Old Testament, right? It's in there. But he is making a claim that is pretty bold. And he says, and a second is like it. And, and Young made, made this point last week. He's saying it's on the same level as the Shema, as loving the Lord your God with all that you are, which no good Jewish person would have ever questioned. But he's saying there's a second one that's on that level. It is to love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Everything that came before, that's what it means, the law and the prophets. That's the way they talked about Hebrew scripture. That's a shorthand, right? They didn't call it the Bible. They didn't call it the Old Old Testament. They would have said the law and the prophets. All of scripture depends on these two commandments, or all of these uh, commandments, they they kind of flow from these two. uh, Everything else flows from you shall love your Uh, the Lord your God, with all that you are, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, friends, I don't think I'm telling you anything you don't know on some level, right? That the point is love, the purpose is love, right? But I want to show you that, that for for one, this is really the, 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 the purpose of life that we are supposed to have, because Jesus, he explains this on other levels, right? I mean, it's, for one, for him to say these are the two great commandments, yeah, you should pay attention to that. But check out what he says in Matthew chapter 5. So this is the beginning. Uh, if you could go to, yep, Matthew 5, 17 through 20, where he is, uh, this is the, towards the beginning of uh, the great Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. Again, there it is, the law and the prophets, right? I did not come to get rid of the law the Old Testament, right? I have not come to abolish, abolish them, but to fulfill them. And so, friends, uh, um, I'm sure Jesus got accused of that. He still gets accused of that. Sometimes, you know, <laughs> Jesus preachers get accused of like, are you trying to say that we don't have to follow the law anymore? Are you trying to say that we don't need to, you know, do any of this stuff anymore? Right? And Jesus is like, no, 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 I'm not getting rid of it. I am fulfilling it. And f- what fulfilling means is it's to fill it out or to complete it. I'm here to complete the Old Testament. And so what you're going to see is that uh, uh, there is uh, things that, that were in the Old Testament, things like, you know, do not murder, right? And Jesus has a way of talking about that, that verse where he's trying to fill it out. It's like, because really what you could do is you could be like, okay, I might beat you really badly, but as long as I don't murder you, <laughs> as long as you don't die and your heart stops beating, then technically I didn't break that law, right? Now, I know that's kind of a silly example, but this is the thing with rules, 
is that in many ways you could follow a rule, but not the spirit of it. And Jesus won't let you get away with that, right? So he's like, you have heard it said, do not murder. But I tell you that if you hate your brother or your sister, right? If you resent them, that's the sin, right? That, that we have to root out that hatred that we have. Does that make sense? In the sense of there is a greater purpose to this whole law that we have been pointing to, right? And so Jesus has come to fill that out. For one, no more loopholes. No more like, okay, I didn't technically break the law, but I kind of hate your guts, you know? I didn't technically steal. I didn't technically commit adultery, right? None of that. Jesus won't let you get away with that. But also, we're kind of missing the point. Young talked about this last week, that in many ways, the religious leaders, they were really good at following laws. But one thing you will see is that sometimes when you know a lot of Bible (laughs) and you follow the Bible, it can make you really arrogant. It can actually make you pretty unloving, right? You think you're hot stuff. You think you're holier than everyone else. Well, what's wrong with you? Why can't you follow this? Because look at me. And it's not very loving right? And, um, you know, so in many ways, Jesus is like, that's not, I didn't come here just so that you could follow these laws, right? But the law has a point, and I've come to fulfill that, complete it, fill it out, right? And so, for truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, uh, scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Um, something that we're going to go back to here, that this is one of the most difficult teachings in Scripture, this idea of perfection. We actually read this uh, it, it, when we read the first Scripture, um, which was the, the, the Matthew chapter 5, 43 through 48. Verse 48, he says, you must be holy, you must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. You must be perfect. And again, here we see this idea of perfection. Your righteousness needs to be even greater than the scribes and the Pharisees. Again, that seems hard, right? And very harsh. You're like, but Pastor Steve, who can possibly do this? And and, and we're going to try to explain to you that it's not bad news, right? Jesus didn't come with the bad news, right? He came with the gospel, the good news, right? That's what gospel means. And so there is hope for us. So friends, just bear with me. I know if you hear that and you're like, Pastor Steve, this just seems impossible, right? For one, I do want you to see that what Jesus is calling us to is worth giving your whole life for. I think one of the problems we have, when you hear that the goal, the purpose of our lives is to love, we're just like, sometimes, you know, you just hear love all the time. People toss around the word love for everything, right? I think I've said probably in the last week, I love ice cream. Seems easy, right? You know, I love this, I love that. Oh, I love this show, you know? And love seems so common that it doesn't move the needle for us anymore. We think there needs to be something more. 
But when you start talking about what Jesus is talking about, your righteousness needs to exceed even these like sticklers of the law who are really good at following every single law. You got to be even better than that. And you got to be perfect. You see God, how God's perfect? Yeah, that's how you need to be. This is a big ask, right? And so I don't want us to think for a moment that when we say the point is to love, that we're like, oh, that's too easy. It's too easy. It's too ordinary. It can't be that simple. Friends, I want to show you it's hard, right? But it is the goal. I, let, let me show you uh, again. So another scripture, Romans 10. Uh, sorry, can we go back to the next one? Ro- Romans 10, 4. For Christ is the end of the law, resulting in righteousness for everyone who believes, right? So we already said this. We are supposed to be more righteous. We're supposed to be perfect. How do we do that? Well, what people used to do is they used to just try to follow the law, right? And I'll be honest, a lot of Christians still trying to do it, right? Law is this idea that you have rules and, and instructions, and it's just like, oh, very simple. You tell someone to do it, and then you do it. Or don't do it, and then don't do that, right? But friends, does that work in your life? Right? I use this example all the time, but I love it just because it's, it's so true. It's so true. Has anyone ever told you to calm down? Has it ever worked? Has it ever worked? Have you ever told someone to calm down? You're like, calm down. And they're like, oh, thanks. Yeah, yeah, I'm really calm now. Never works, right? Just telling someone to do something, right? Like, I don't know, there's like parents where like two siblings are fighting. It's like, hey, love your brother. <laughs> it doesn't work. Just telling someone to do something doesn't do it. If it did, then we would all be perfect, right? But that's what the law is. It's commands, it's rules, and it's like, okay, just do it, right? But if you have lived any amount of life, you know it's not that simple. And so Jesus has come with a better way. And you know what the way is? What all the law has been pointing to this whole time, it's Jesus himself. He is the end of the law. And the word uh, in Greek is telos. It doesn't mean end as in like, like, oh, okay, so we're just getting rid of the law. Unfortunately, a lot of people have interpreted it that way. But what telos means is end goal, right? It's all been leading to something. It's all been leading to Jesus, resulting in righteousness for everyone who believes, right? If we trust in Jesus, as uh, Pastor Young mentioned uh, last weekend, that that word trust, uh, he used the word allegiance. If we give our allegiance to Christ, if we trust fully in him and we live our life with him, we will become righteous, right? We're going to become righteous through Christ, not through just following a bunch of rules, right? We'll, we'll get more to that, but um, there's this quote from Bruxy Cavey, who's a pastor in Canada. He says, Jesus' goal for his followers is never just a life without obvious sin, but a life filled with genuine love. You see that, right? The goal, the goal is that you actually become loving, right? So, so this is the problem, friends. There are many people who are like, okay, you, you, you got to know the Bible. You got to listen to the Bible. You got to read the Bible. You got to do what it says, right? That's good. You, you'll never catch me telling people, no, 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 don't read your Bible, right? Don't follow what's in the Bible, right? But in many ways, it is not complete. 
Now, what I mean by this is because there, there are people who have tried to follow the Bible. Many people who follow the Bible, but they're not following Jesus. I want to give you an example. So, um, in 1994, there was a, uh, there was a doctor um, named, uh, oh, sorry, uh, not a doctor. There was a pastor named Paul Jennings Hill. And he believed that abortion was killing an unborn child. Right? He really, really believed that. And, and he believed that so firmly that he actually was executed because of what he did. But to his dying day, he was like, I would do it all over again. Right? Because as a Christ follower, if you believe that innocent babies are getting murdered, then we need to protect them. And so what he did is he showed up at an abortion clinic with a shotgun, and he killed an abortion doctor and his bodyguard. And he quoted scripture, right? Like in interviews, he'd be like, you know, you shall not mix the blood of the, the infants, and, right? Like he would quote scripture. For him, he thought he was following the Bible. And so that led him to murder. If you guys know anything about the life of Jesus, that ain't the way of Jesus, right? But there is stuff in the Bible, let's be honest. There's stuff in the Bible that can be pretty hard to read. There's instances where the Israelites would go to war and they would kill the, the, the people in the land, right? And there are Christians who would look at that stuff, like, right, these like kind of holy wars, right? Look at Israel marching into Canaan, the promised land, and slaying the Philistines. They're like, we're going to do the same thing. And that's what they did, right? It's called the Crusades. This happened with Christians who would be like, in the name of Jesus, we're going to kill all these infidels, all these Arabs, right? In the name of Christ. We've done that again and again and again. And so, friends, if Christianity, if the point of all of this were to just keep rules really well, you know who would be the best at it? The Pharisees. <laughs> they were awesome at keeping rules, right? But if you know anything, right, the Pharisees were not the heroes by any means, right? Nowadays, you would not want to be called a Pharisee, right? You know, and, and this is what Bruxy Cavey has to say about that. So let, let's take a look at he says, the Pharisees were passionate rule keepers. They were the Bible fundamentalists of their day. If they had a motto, it would have been, the Bible says it, that settles it, I believe it, let's do it. But according to Jesus, that is not enough. Following the letter of the law is dangerous, as witch-burning, war-fighting, pagan-killing Christianity attests. Jesus calls us to use Scripture to get to know God's heart to see God's love expressed through Jesus and to follow him. Friends, why is that other stuff in there? Well, for one, I can't give you the definitive answer. I'm not arrogant enough to say I completely know why God did the, the things that he did. But I will tell you this, that I believe that the Bible is a sequential document, right? It's a history of God's people. And there was a time that for whatever reason, in order to preserve the people of God, because they were in a land where it was very hostile, and like, like their enemies would have killed them and wiped out the people of God, they were sanctioned to use violence. But times changed. And when it came to Jesus, you see that Jesus absolutely does not do that. Jesus lays down swords. Jesus doesn't take lives. He gives up his life. 
right? Seriously, have you ever seen anything in Jesus where he is violent towards people? Never. The only scene is when he upends the religious institution by turning over the tables in the temple, right? But that is aimed at religion itself. It's not aimed at the people. And the reason why he gets so mad is because they are creating an impediment for people to get to God. But Jesus is a man of peace. He's a man of love. And so, friends, we have to be very clear because people do this all the time. The Bible is really, really long, right? There's lots and lots of passages in it. And if you want to find passages to, to, uh, um, to justify your greed or your anger or your hatred or your desire for power, you can find it. But I will tell you this. You will not find it in Jesus. If you take Jesus seriously, you don't just pick and choose, but if you look at the life of Jesus, you're going to have to pretty much stay away from Jesus if you, if you want power, right? If, if you want to harm others, right? Because in Jesus, you're going to find love. And this is the goal for the Christ follower, right? That's why he is the end of religion. The end goal is it all leads to Jesus. Yes, there is an idea of holiness. There is an idea of how you are supposed to treat people, right? And all of that culminates into the actual person of Jesus. We are not following a religion. We are not following rules. We are becoming like this person of Jesus, right? It's about relationships, and it's about how we actually do this together. That's why you need a church. The church has gotten really good at debating, you know, theological things, right? It's almost like, I don't know, like a football team who doesn't actually, you know, play football, but the team just keeps splitting because they keep arguing about what is a quarterback, you know? That's kind of the way the church has been, and not a single pass is thrown, right? But really the point is for us to get out there and play the game for us to get out there and do what we're supposed to, which is to love like Jesus, which is to actually follow and emulate this gentle teacher who was the very son of God, who was the very heart of God, who was the very heart of what the law was supposed to be always about, which is about the love of God, right? And so that's where we're going with all of this, right? And so friends, that has been reflected. Um, we, we've had a couple... Uh, purpose statements for LGM, but this is our most recent. The purpose of Living Grace Ministry is to make disciples of Jesus who really love like Jesus. I got to tell you, in recent years, um, it's not that we're, we, we've dropped that, but we just don't hear it as much. And, and I have to admit that sometimes, even as a pastor, I get really caught up in all the different things we do in the ministry. It's like, oh, we got small groups. Oh, we're going to go to the pumpkin patch. Oh, we've got a retreat. Oh, we've got like all these things and they're fun and good. But friends, it's not the point of anything we do. It is not the point. They are means, means to an end. And the end is always that we can become disciples of Jesus who actually really love like Jesus. So if you're at the pumpkin patch and you're there just to hang out and get pumpkins, we're not living into our goal. But if you're there and you're like, hey, this is an opportunity for me to love some people, then you're doing it, right? And this is why the church exists. We don't exist to tell people who's in, who's out, try to reinforce the laws and rules and say, stop, 
stop. No, no, no. That's not what we're here for, friends. We are here to help all of us learn to love like Christ. And this is the place where we practice. <laughs> we get to do it with one another. Right? There's a lot of people, right, especially during COVID, you know, they're like, hey, I kind of like doing church from home. I, I got to tell you, that's not the way church was intended. Yes, this is a stopgap, right? We have a lot of our brothers and sisters who are worshiping from home, and we get it, right? I'm not here to shame anyone for doing that, but I'm telling you, that is not supposed to be permanent, right? You need to actually be with other people. And I've heard people say, like, yeah, you know, I really like God, <laughs> I really like, you know, receiving the teaching and singing even, but I don't like being around people. Why? Because with people, they can hurt you. It's tough sometimes, right? You know, there's ways that they make you uncomfortable. There's ways where it can cost you something. And so, friends, I do want to affirm, you know, I just had three quick points I wanted to make before we closed here. But the first is that the purpose of life, I want to be very clear, is to really love like Jesus. That's the purpose. That's what's in Scripture, right? The end is Jesus and his way of life, who he was in his person, which was how he loved people, right? And everything we see in Scripture, it keeps pointing to this again and again, and again. So again, Matthew 22 that we read, read the great commandment, love the Lord your God with all that you are, and love your neighbor as yourself. And I want to show you something about this love that I think we've gotten twisted a little bit. I've heard many sermons that talk about this verse in this way. And I actually have preached a few of these sermons, to be honest, is that we say, look, it says... Love your neighbor as yourself. And so we, all, we say this thing. It's like, well, if you don't love yourself, then you can't love your neighbor. I think that's true, but I think it's missing the point a little bit. I think what Jesus is trying to talk about is, like, the natural way of living is for us to look out for ourselves. Okay, I know some people, they, they like, you know, are really hard on themselves, things like that. But the point is that in some twisted way, you have made it all about you right? So people who kind of hate themselves are still self-obsessed. Does that make sense? Almost everything we do is self-focused. It's all about us. And so what Jesus is doing here, he says, he says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Instead of the focus being you, now the focus is someone else. And by the way, you can follow the Bible and make it all about you. I've pointed this out several times, so I'm not going to make too big of a point, but when you look at oftentimes the church in America, the sins that people tend to care about are not their own sins. They're the sins of other people, right? Mostly straight, evangelical, mostly male Christians get really, really worked up about homosexuality when they're not a homosexual, they get really, really worked up about abortion when they're not a woman. Right? What would it mean to actually love someone as yourself? The way that we're so self-focused. And yes, we're going to protect ourselves, right? We're, we're going to think about the context for ourselves. Have you ever, like, not known the story behind someone else, right? And why they were being a big jerk? 
And have you ever been a big jerk yourself? And you're like, no, 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 but there's a reason. <laughs> I had a bad day, right? I had a really, really bad day. You don't understand, right? I was really, really in a rush. Yeah, and we know that because we are other-focused, right? We are all about ourselves, and so we have ways of explaining all that away. But for someone else, you may not know that. But if you have other-focused love, you might give them the benefit of the doubt. Oh, that person cut me off. Instead of like, how dare you inconvenience me, which is all about me, to say, huh, how can I love this person in this? It's not easy. It's not automatic. But this is what we are learning how to do. Right? Matthew 7, 12. You're going to see it again, friends. I'm telling you, I'm not making this stuff up. Right? It's in Scripture. It's plain as day. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. You see that again? Jesus is summing up the entire of the Bible, and he's saying it is in this. Treat other people the way you want to be treated. Other-focused love. It's what we call the golden rule, and it exists in almost every culture, almost every religion. I will tell you the formulation of, of that in uh, most religions is negative. It's actually something like, that which you hate to be done to you, do not do to another, right? Don't hurt other people if you don't want to be hurt. And for Jesus, he stated it in the positive. Treat other people. Do unto others as you would want them to do unto you. Let's go out and love people. Wouldn't you want someone to love you? Wouldn't you want someone to give you the benefit of the doubt? Wouldn't you want someone to forgive you and to give you a second chance? We've got to go out and do it for other people. Right? So the love of Jesus, uh, sorry, if you can go back to that too. The love of Jesus is other-centered. And in that, it is not easy. So this is what we read today. Verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus redefines who a neighbor is. Because you might have had a way of reading that and making it very specific and being like, oh, yeah, yeah, my neighbor. I love my neighbor. He's a good guy. Right? But Jesus, there's that whole parable of the Good Samaritan where he's like, the neighbor is the person in need. And the neighborly people might actually be the people that you normally hate, like the Samaritans, who the Jews, they hated, guys. I'm not exaggerating. They hated them. And Jesus was like, it's your neighbor. It's your neighbor, right? You've heard it said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This is the way of Jesus, friends. Right? That's not the way of the Crusades. Right? When people talk about Christianity and the mistakes we've made, it's almost always when we have been following religion and we have used religion for power, it's not because we were genuinely following the teachings of Jesus. I've never heard someone say, like, yeah, I have such a beef with the church, they're too forgiving. <laughs> they're way too generous. They're way too loving. It hasn't happened. It's been, look at how the church has been abusing people for power. Look at how the church has ignored those who are most in need, those who are most vulnerable. And that is not the way of Jesus. And so we're told, um, yeah, even the tax collectors will love people, right? Even the most wicked people will love people when it benefits them, right? And, and, and that's usually the way that love works for us. 
And so when you see the other-centered kind of love of Jesus that goes up against, like, your feelings, right? Somebody hurts you. Somebody is, like, seriously, your mortal enemy. And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm called to love them? Then you're going to understand what it means when he says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Because we know imperfect people cannot do that. Most people cannot love their enemies. It's so hard, right? I can't love people when it inconveniences me. And that's always been the problem in the church. But friends, uh, I want to, yeah, if you could bear with me, just a couple more verses here. So this is 1 John 4, 7 through 12. It says, beloved, let us love one another. Again, I know I'm beating you over the head with this, but I want you to see I'm not cherry picking. It's all through the, the New Testament. It's all through the life of Jesus. To ignore this is to ignore Jesus, right? You're just making up your own religion, right? You're not following Jesus if you don't do this. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, which means the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. There you see it again, perfection. His love is perfected in us. As we get to know God, because God is love, we become more loving. You have to. It's not an option anymore. But this is what happens as you get to know God. And where do we see God most personified? You see it in Jesus, as you get to know Jesus, as you get to know his heart, right? You spend more time with him. You listen to his words. You love his words. You ingest his words, friends. It's not going to happen automatically. This is one of the things we do in the church uh, or with modern Christianity, with modern spirituality. We're like, yeah, I knew it. It's all about love. I don't need the Bible. I don't need church for that. I'm just going to go out and love. And if you really take seriously what it means to love like Jesus, I'm telling you from personal experience, you ain't going to be able to do it. We're just too selfish, right? Just our natural tendency is not to love other people in this way. So one of the things we do as Christians, we ingest the words of Jesus. We memorize them. We meditate on them. We meditate on his life. We talk about it together, Bible study, right? We talk about the small group. We pray for one another. Like, man, I, I, this coworker is just getting on my nerves. They're such a jerk. Man, they just think they're better than me. But you know, you're not complaining just to vent. But you're like, brothers and sisters, would you pray for me? Because I, I, I can't love them on my own. That's the church. That's what we're here to do, right? And so, friends... Yeah, you see this. Um, and by the way, uh, I, I, the verse 48, the one that seems so hard. Can we go to the next slide, Jennifer? This is actually what it says in Greek. It doesn't say you, therefore, you know, must be perfect. That's the way it gets translated in the ESV. But it actually says you, therefore, will be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Can we go to the next slide? So God perfects our love as we earnestly seek to know Jesus. Love is not just the requirement, it's the reward. As you learn to love, you become love. That's the whole point. And it's a wonderful way of living, right? 
And, and that is what we are all here to do. Friends, I, I want to close just with a couple stories. Um, yesterday, I had the honor of doing a funeral. And it was for, um, I used to serve at this other church, St. Matthew's. About eight years ago, I was doing both LGM and St. Matthew's. And um, there's this guy, Dean, who was there. And uh, his wife had dementia. And she ended up dying, and I did her funeral. And any time that I would see Dean, um, because like we went to the same Kroger, so I would run into him even after I left the church. He would always say the same thing to me. He would, like, he would thank me. He'd say, Pastor Steve, thank you so much for doing my wife's funeral. And he would just get tears in his eyes. He was like, oh, it was just, it means so much to me. I'm like, man, this guy loves his wife so much. And everybody saw it. Everybody would talk about and marvel at the way this guy loved his wife. Um, so she had dementia, and it was like pretty serious dementia. If you guys know what, don't know what de- dementia is, it's these symptoms, like, like a bunch of symptoms, not like one disease, but where like people kind of like forget, they, they get confused, right? They're not able to think the way that they used to. And it's really, really hard on families because sometimes they forget who their family is. Phyllis would do that sometimes. Phyllis would forget how to do things. Phyllis moved very, very slowly. And so if you had to get somewhere, like, oh, the concert's going to start, Phyllis would just crawl, right? And he was so patient. He wasn't perfect. There was a few times where he's like, come on, Phyllis. You know, and can you blame the guy? I mean, she would forget who he was. She would get belligerent. She would not understand. She would get confused. And I would see how he loved her. I'm like, man, love, it's not easy. It's not this soft thing. I've seen this with my, my, my parents, too. It, a lot of you guys know my dad has a brain injury. It's not permanent, hopefully. He's getting better. But my mom has had to, at times, be with my dad 24-7, help him get dressed, help him use the restroom. And, and like, like he could fall at any moment, and she can never have a moment to herself. It's so incredibly hard. He gets confused. He, he spends money on things where he doesn't even know what he's doing, and my mom has to sort out all of that mess. And it's so hard. And, and I look at my parents. I look at Dean and his wife, and, and I'm like, man, this is going to change the way that I do premarital counseling. You know, uh, I think uh, Hadam and Jamie, you guys here, I, I think they're the, the most recent married couple at LGM. But even they will tell you, if you've been married for any amount of time, It ain't easy to love people as Christ loves us when you're around them all the time. But with Dean, this guy who would thank me every single time. I haven't been at the church in like eight years. And one of the things he told his, his, because he was very, very sick, and he told his kids, who I don't know at all, they're like, can you have Pastor Steve do my funeral? They've had like three pastors since. And I know why he asked me to do his funeral. I, I was there probably the least out of like most of the pastors that he's known in his 50 years at that church. But he asked me to do his funeral because I did his wife's funeral. Because of his love for her and that connection. Right? And, and I, I would think, you know, I, I'm, you know, I'm just being honest with you. I wonder if there's a part of Dean or for other people when you have a spouse that's that sick and they die, and there's a part of you that's a little relieved. But I could tell with Dean that every time he saw me, 
he, was, he would remember Phyllis all over again. And it was just love. It's just all love. It's beautiful. But it's not easy. You guys see that? This is what we're trying to do in the church. This beautiful, other-centered love. This love that saves people. I mean, people marvel. They're like, oh my gosh. Right? His kids would talk about, they're like, man, I, I, our dad wasn't perfect. Don't get us wrong. But the way that he loved our mom is absolutely beautiful. It's the face of God. That's what we are on earth to do, friends. That's what I want to do together with LGM. Praise team, can you guys come up? I don't know how this message has hit you guys. I know there's a lot said. And yeah, you know, um, it's, it's good that, that you can go back on YouTube or a podcast if you want to hear this message again, because we went through a lot. <laughs> Not going to lie, right? We went through the purpose of life. We went through lots and lots of scripture. We went pretty fast. But friends, I wanted you to see this picture of where God wants to bring us. He wants us to love like his son. He wants us to be in love with his son. But not just for our own benefit, but so that we can also become this love. Friends, would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for who you are and for sending your son to love us as he has loved us with this incredible, earth-shattering love. That's just so beautiful. We look at it, and it's so imposing that many of us, God, throughout the ages, Lord, if we're being honest, we have found ways to shove it aside and put our own agenda on the docket instead of what you have called us to do, which is to become like your son in our love, in our life, with the actual people that you have given us. God, maybe there's some of us, we're hearing this message and we're like, man, this is so hard. But may you give us the comfort, that promise, you will become perfect (laughs) as your heavenly father is perfect. You will become love. Just get to know me. Just press into my heart. Don't worry. Don't worry. I'm here for you. We're going to do this together. Press into the community of Christ that I've given you. We're going to do this together. I'm going to do it with you. God is with us, friends. And he loves you and he forgives you. If there's anyone who feels guilty or feel the shame because you failed at loving, maybe you're thinking of a very specific instance this past week where you were unkind or where you failed to love. Friends, may you know that there is forgiveness. Jesus died for your sins. So then we can become love. We thank you, God, for that. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.